You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Long Game with Ellie and Leach. Welcome to The Long Game with Elsie and Leach from The Recount and ACAST, where every week we talk about the biggest stories in sports and how they impact culture, politics, and business. I'm the Rams fan, LG Grandison. He's the Cincinnati Bengals believer, Will Leach. Uh, what choice do I have at this point <laughs> than to believe in the Cincinnati Bengals? We have a very full slate of stuff today, LZ, starting with our top stories of the week. We're recording this Tuesday morning, so we're going to kick things off by discussing the breaking news that was announced just a couple of hours ago. The greatest quarterback in NFL history is officially hanging it up at the age of 44. Will, summing up Tom Brady's incredible career is not an easy task. Well, the good news is no one has ever talked about Tom Brady before, so we'll be able to have a clear playing field for us to run through with our hot takes. Then we'll continue the football conversation by digging deep into the NFL playoffs, which, from what I understand, involve a certain someone's favorite team and his first pick in our long-game fantasy playoff draft. LZ, I dare you to get through this segment without ripping your shirt off and whipping it around in a frenzy and dumping Gatorade or mayonnaise, depending on your mood, all over yourself. I will not be whipping and dipping anything. I'm staying focused, my friend, because the job is not done. Finish the drill. Finish the drill before the mayonnaise and the Gatorade get out. There you go. And later, oh, right, Elsie, the Winter Olympics are starting on Friday. Yep, who knew? It is widely predicted this will be the least watched game since ancient Greece itself, in which the televisions were somewhat more rudimentary. So we're going to talk about why Americans just don't seem to care about the Olympics anymore at all. Oh, we care about the Olympics. Just the ones from 84, 92, 96. Is Edwin Moses a part of this one? I really want Edwin Moses to be a part of this one. (laughs) Then we'll wrap up the show with a great This Week in Sports History segment, this time featuring Hall of Fame linebacker Ray Lewis and his involvement, in air quotes, in a fight that (laughs) led to the murder of two men. And if that's not enough, we'll also answer questions from you, our loyal audience. We love you. All right, Will, let's get into our first big story, the end of an unforgettable era in sports, because after 22 years, Tom Brady is finally walking off into the sunset. As things have gone on in the Later parts of my career, whether that was five years ago or, you know, even this year, you know, there's a lot of interest in when I'm going to stop playing. And I understand that. I don't, it's not that I don't recognize that. Just when I, when I know, I'll know. And when I don't know, I don't know. And I'm not going to, you know, race to some conclusion about that. That was Tom Brady responding on Monday during his Let's Go podcast. I have to say, I like our name of our podcast better. (laughs) To reports that broke over the weekend that he'll be retiring. Well, just a couple hours 
Before we started recording our podcast on Tuesday morning, Brady made it official, announcing in an Instagram post that after 22 seasons, he is, quote, not going to make that competitive commitment anymore. Also a terrible name for a podcast, by the way. The Superstar QB retires while still at the top of his game. He led the NFL in passing yards and passing touchdowns as a freaking 44-year-old for crying out loud. His list of accomplishments is truly mind-boggling. Brady has the most regular season wins in NFL history, the most playoff wins in NFL history by a ridiculous margin, the most Super Bowl appearances, the most Super Bowl wins, more Super Bowl wins than any other franchise, and the most MVPs. He has the most career passing yards and passing touchdowns in both the regular season and the playoffs. Oh, yeah, and he's a three-time MVP who's been selected to the Pro Bowl more times than anyone else. LZ, we could go on about Brady's milestones for hours, but we're talking about the greatest NFL player ever, and quite possibly the greatest American athlete ever. What do you think of the fact that he chose now to do it, and just kind of reflecting on what kind of his life and legacy in the NFL is? Well, you know, it's interesting because I do wonder if this would have been the date he would have said, I'm retired, had news not broken over the weekend. Yeah. And he felt like he needed to answer questions, not just for his own sensibilities, but for the franchise that he's leaving behind as well, the Bucks. Who knows? He may have waited to after the Super Bowl to make an yeah. official announcement had he not been pressured. So I do wonder about that. But with that being said, we've been kind of preparing for this day for a couple of seasons now, if not more. I remember when Tom Brady had just got the snot beaten out of him in his last pass as a Patriot was a pick six. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. And it was a question of not where is he going, but when is he going to announce his retirement? Yeah. He had really gotten the, the crap beaten out of him that game. And to end it on a pick six was the worst possible way. It would be like Michael Jordan missing that shot against Byron Russell. Yeah. Or coming back with the Wizards. <laughs> right, right, right. Certainly we won't be talking about the Wizards. That does sorry, not sorry, exist. Sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry, that that does not it. exist. That we don't talk it. about that at all. So I do wonder about the timeliness of it. But with all of that being said, I think Tom Brady has two titles. He obviously goes away as the greatest quarterback in the history of, the, of football. Mm -hmm. We can talk about physical gifts. We can talk about excitement of play. I recently just did a hit on ABC talking about these issues and or the, these angles, right? I think Aaron Rodgers is physically the most gifted quarterback to ever play. I think Michael Vick and maybe Lamar Jackson, but definitely Michael Vick was the most exciting person to ever play quarterback. Yeah. But in terms of the greatest quarterback, that's about results. And it's hard to argue that Tom Brady is not the greatest quarterback because of his results. Down 20, down 30, you don't count him out. And that says a lot about his resolve. That says a lot about his talent and his excitement as well. But it also speaks specifically about what does GOAT mean? That during your time, you as that dude. And I don't think anyone would argue that during Tom Brady's time, for much of the 22 seasons he's played, <laughs> he was that dude. He's the GOAT. But he also is the GOAT in terms of underdog stories. I think he is the greatest underdog story in team sports history. I still think Venus and Serena are the greatest underdog story in sports history in mm. general. But in terms of team sports, 199, man. You go from 199 to GOAT. Back up to Drew Henson, to the third <laughs> baseman for the Yankees. <laughs> Not even a good one. Come on now. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. So I, I, I think about Tom Brady through those parameters first. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of the other various gates <laughs> and the MAGA hat later. Yes. But right now, in terms of just as an athlete, 
Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback to ever play. Tom Brady, the greatest underdog story in team sports history. I always think back to that 2002 Super Bowl, right? Mm -hmm. The Rams were trying to win their second Super Bowl. And yep. it's funny to think that there was a time where the St. Louis Rams were the juggernaut that everyone <laughs> wanted to see destroyed by those plucky patriots of Bill plucky. Belichick and Tom Brady. But it's right. totally true. People were legitimately inspired when they all ran out as a team. Now everybody does that. But at the time, that was not how they came out in the Super Bowl. Of course, they were the patriots. Speaking of words that have changed in meaning in a lot of ways <laughs> over the last 20 years, there's another oh, one. Fake? People will not admit this now, but they were rooting for Tom Brady. Of course. They were, of course, rooting for Tom Brady. It's a it, great story. It was an incredible story. If you just started watching football in the last 20 years, you don't realize how awful of a franchise the Patriots were. They were the lousy Boston sports franchise. They played all the way, way out of town and nobody cared about them. And Belichick and, and obviously Brady turned them into the empire, and they right. which is really just kind of remarkable. You see the arc of Brady's career. He became the villain very fast. <laughs> he became the superstar at almost the exact same time when the way that we viewed our sports superstars changed dramatically. Whether it was the internet, it was those darn blogs. There were like all those blogs in the mid-aughts. I don't remember what, the names of any of them, but they were big deals. And they were very skeptical. They kind of looked at sports in a different way and tried to deflate this kind of hero worship that traditionally Brady would have totally benefited from. I would say that the era that Brady played, the underdog story curdles more quickly than it might have uh, 20 or 30 years earlier. And I think that affected him too. And that led to the various gates that we're talking about. To me, the fact that he's the greatest quarterback of all time is, I find it kind of undebatable. I mean, he threw for more yards and more touchdowns in his final season than he did in the other season of his career. He once said he wanted to play till he was 50. I think a couple more Aaron Donald sacks might have, Listen, might have slow, slowed child, down. let me tell you something. <laughs> we all know the exact moment when Tom Brady said, fuck this shit. Yeah, yeah. We know the moment. That didn't man. look fun. <laughs> that didn't look fun. <laughs> it did not look fun. Credit the cameraman or camerawoman for capturing the moment that Tom Brady's walking around with a bloody lip because they yeah, worked yeah. that shot over and over again. I was joking in a bar with some Packer fans and other people. We were all saying, oh, shit he getting beat up why is he yeah. doing this because he literally has nothing to prove not even to himself you know and the athlete would say you know i want to prove it to myself well he did that already like eight he times left the Patriots, <laughs> right. he went to the bucks he proved it to himself yeah. and so now aaron donald's chasing him he's running for his life he's got a porous front line ab just went batshit crazy on him a couple <laughs> weeks earlier yeah. and he's like why the fuck am i out yeah, here enough. what am i doing <laughs> That's going to be a great trivia question someday that Tom Brady got his first unsportsmanlike conduct penalty in his final game. It was yeah. just kind of an incredible thing. And I think that's a good way to kind of transition into all of the various gates with Brady. I will confess, I am not a Boston sports fan. I am not like an inherent Brady defender. I personally think a deflate gate and have always thought it to be pretty dumb, to be entirely honest. I've always thought it was a little bit silly. Mm -hmm. Do I think that Brady probably would have liked the balls deflated a little bit? Yes, I suppose. I still feel like people were just mad about Spygate more and mm -hmm. decided that that was going to be the thing they kind of landed him in on. But I think that's another thing about Brady. I think you can't look past... The MAGA stuff. The circumstantial evidence that Tom Brady was a proud boy is pretty minimal, <laughs> I will confess. In Seth Wickersham's book, it's reported that the hat was there simply because Robert Kraft had put it there. Certainly, Brady was friends with Trump. They played golf together and probably saw each other at a couple of charity things and said, I'm a friend. And remember, that happened in October 2015. 
you and I write about politics. We're really into this stuff. We were probably taking Trump a little bit more seriously then, but I bet Tom Brady wasn't <laughs> as a political figure. And so not to defend, because he certainly had many opportunities to speak out against Trump. I think it was really crafted, especially Belichick, that were much, much more Trump people. Brady, after that, kind of shut down about Trump. It's worth noting he never actually did go to the White House when Trump was there. He did go for both George W. Bush and for Biden and made actually, I thought, a pretty clever joke with Biden about uh, how uh, how yeah, nobody it believed okay. it. Yeah, it was OK. I, for- I would have workshopped it a little bit more, but I get what he was going for. Not a lot of people, uh, you know, think that we could have won. And um, in fact, I think about 40 percent of the people still don't think we won. You understand that, Mr. President? I understand that. Yeah. Manning would have landed it better. As bad as Brady was on Saturday Night Live, I'll give him something. But I I think it speaks to the idea that whether or not Brady was really a MAGA guy, not only did people feel like he was, there was a part of that people wanted him to be. That kind of handsome, perfect, smiling quarterback, he almost felt like a relic, not just in the way he plays, but the, way, like the idea that you don't have to say anything publicly, you don't have any public stances on anything, you try to stay out of it. That doesn't feel how quarterbacks and sports are going to work moving forward. I had someone tell me one time, they thought he was like the Charles Lindbergh of sports. That feels too strong. I feel like that's that feels a, like a little bit too a strong, aggressive. but I get it. Like people hated Brady. I think it's worth remembering as we kind of uh, uh, hark back his career. I've written this joke before, but someday my grandchildren are going to say, wow, Tom Brady was the greatest quarterback of all time or the GOAT. They'll probably have some cool. There'll be another phrase for that. Yeah, 2064 lingo for it. But they're like, wow, you saw Tom Brady play. What was it like when people watched him play? How did they treat him? I'm like, oh, they photoshopped penises on his head and called him a fascist. That is how (laughs) we treated Tom Brady when he played. And once he's retired, now you're already seeing Tom Brady, greatest of all time. And people are forgetting that stuff. But it's worth remembering in his mind moment, he was not popular. No, no, he was not always popular. That is for sure. I know a lot of times I come across as a media critic criticizing our industry for a lot of things, but sometimes we've earned it. And I think in terms of how Tom Brady went from hero to villain, the media had a lot to do with it. The way that we heaped our coverage on him, the way that we characterized him, the phrasing of his success, hard worker, first one in, last one out. No one studies the game more than Tom Brady. And you're just like going, fuck you. They all (laughs) study the game really hard. They wouldn't be here, right? They would not be here, right? (laughs) People just got tired of being fed how exceptional he was as opposed to watching him and drawing their own conclusions, which very well could have led to the same place, but at least they weren't being funneled in that direction. And we've seen a number of QBs, a number of athletes get the same sort of treatment. Tim Tebow immediately comes to mind. Someone that the media just heaped all this praise on at the expense of other players. And I'm just going to be real with it at the expense of black players, Mm -hmm. to be quite honest with you. Black players were always being called naturally gifted and talented, while the white players were hard workers and always in the gym, first one in, last one out. Like black (laughs) players weren't coming in early or leaving late. And we also know what sports media in particular, but what media in general looked like too, particularly when Tom Brady was drafted 199. It was overwhelmingly white. It was overwhelmingly male. It was overwhelmingly cisgender and heterosexual. That hero worship that came out of that aspect of sports media in particular, that was directed towards Tom Brady. And I think the country as a whole was just sort of like going, okay, we got it. He's great. Can you chill now and let us just enjoy? And sports media never chilled. The Patriots play where ESPN is based. 
The Patriots play where NBC Sports was based. The Patriots play where a number of media outlets were based. And so in a lot of ways, they also became their de facto team that they worshipped. And it wasn't just about coverage, but it was also about fandom for a very, very specific place because of the location of the Patriots. I think Tom Brady was somewhat of a victim, Will, of all of that when it came to his villainy. But he also smashed some fucking phones. So I'm not going to act as if he's a total innocent victim in all this. He contributed towards some of this villainous attitude toward him. I think one of the worst crimes that Brady can be accused of is he brought the idea of Boston sports teams winning a bunch of championships back. Listen, I always thought, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan, I always thought when the Cubs won the World Series, their fans would become insufferable and they'd be <laughs> awful. They, they were fine. They were totally fine. But Boston fans, there's an old George Carlin joke. Hey, so what does doing cocaine feel like? He said, it makes you feel like doing more cocaine. And I feel like that, <laughs> that's what Boston fans were like with championships. You'd think when your team wins a championship or has something great, you'd be like, awesome. Wow, I've been waiting a long time for this to happen. I feel so good right. now that it has. That is not what happened with Boston. And I think that's part of it too. I find that interesting, actually, kind of in Brady's statement, he didn't talk about the Patriots. He didn't talk about Belichick. He didn't talk about Kraft. He actually limited it to the Buccaneers. It feels like a Brady story, not a Boston story. He was so tied up with Boston, but just in two years winning one title somewhere else, he kind of separated himself from that too, which I have to say I'm uh, probably grateful for, <laughs> to say the very least. I, I think it was all part of his rehab, his media rehab, because he knew this day was coming. Yeah. And in addition to needing to chart his own path separate from that franchise that drafted him, he needed to show himself sort of media savvy and media friendly. Listen, he gave Boston championships. He gave them relevance. And he gave them a fucking like 20 hours of video or some shit like that saying goodbye. Like yeah. he, to me, <laughs> yeah. did the Boston thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was about saying goodbye where he was right now. And where he is right now is a buccaneer. If you're thinking they would have gone further with Jameis Winston if he had stayed, then you're thinking wrong. <laughs> if you're thinking that there was a QB on the bench that could have given them the same sort of result, you're thinking wrong. I would argue that only Tom Brady could have done what happened with the Buccaneers. And I didn't always feel that way about Tom Brady. But watching Aaron Rodgers flounder <laughs> in the postseason again, I used to think, oh, you can just parachute any great quarterback on that roster and you would have had a similar result because that roster was that talented. I don't think that anymore. Watching Aaron Rodgers, as I said, implode, watching Phillip Rivers go nowhere with a pretty good squad with Indianapolis. No, just anyone could not have come into that locker room and turned them into winners as quickly. That's a testament to Tom Brady. That's part of his legacy. And I'm glad that he focused in on his time with the Bucks and saying goodbye because he said goodbye to Boston already. He has won more Super Bowls than any franchise. That is an absolutely remarkable stat when you think about it. All right, Will, let's keep the football talk going and take a deeper dive into the incredibly gratifying NFL playoffs and our tight fantasy playoff draft. There it is to the end zone and he comes down. Cincinnati storms back. And now they go deep down the field. And it is intercepted on the rebound by Bell. The Bengals come up with a crucial pick. McPherson from 31 yards. Cincinnati is heading to the Super Bowl. I mean, usually when you lose a coin flip to those guys, you're going home. Big win for us. On to the Super Bowl. How does it sound? Sounds great. It sounds great. Stafford, end zone cup. Got it. Touchdown Rams. Stafford airs it out. He's picked. No, dropped. Unbelievable. Donald 
got there in the air, intercepted by the Rams, and they may ride to the Super Bowl on that. And the Rams are going to Super Bowl 56. I'm blessed to be a part of this team with this group of guys, this coaching staff. I mean, you can't write the story any better. Shoot, we got one more at the home stadium. Let's get it done. That was the sound of some of the best moments from the NFL Conference Championship Games, which saw LZ's Los Angeles Rams defeat the San Francisco 49ers for the first time in its last seven tries, and the upstart Cincinnati Bengals make a second-half comeback for the ages to knock off the Kansas City Chiefs, setting up what should be a very entertaining Super Bowl a week from Sunday. We will both be at the game, and there will be so much stake. So much stake. There'll be so much stake. So much stake. That sounds great. You okay. can't eat enough of this steak. <laughs> How is the steak in Inglewood? <laughs> um, okay. There will be so much at stake for the two of us. Not only does LZ expect to see the LA version of his favorite franchise win its first ever championship at home, but when they beat my Bengals, he'll claim victory in our first fantasy playoff draft. But I don't think that's going to happen because I, unlike him, picked Cincinnati Bengals. And I am going to win because I have nothing else in my life and need something with which I may find joy. So at about 7 p.m. Pacific time on February 13th, I will be enjoying a very sweet triumph as LZ weeps in his martini. In the meantime, LZ, I want to do an early preview of the big game with you and also continue to talk about what happened on Sunday. Let's start with the Rams game. What were your thoughts kind of watching that one? I was nervous. Yeah, you, you know, were think... nervous. You were nervous in the Bucks game. I remember that. No, I wasn't. And you know, I told everyone at the bar that day that I wasn't worried about the Bucks. that I was worried about the NFC Championship game. Specifically, I was worried about the 49ers. Why? They've beat them six times in a row. But not just beating them six times in a row, because I don't think that really gives you the full context. They were out-muscled for yeah. six games in a row. The line of scrimmage on both sides belonged to San Fran for six straight games. And I was nervous because that didn't seem like something you could scheme. That felt like something that had to come with each individual player from the heart, yeah. which is why I'm so happy to see that video of Aaron Donald getting his defense together yeah. and basically said, fuck this yeah. shit. And he wasn't having a great game before that either. No, like, he, he really was not. Yeah. He, he was not. And he got those dudes together and he was just like, we are playing for something. Yeah. Fuck this. <laughs> we cannot let this team come into our house beat us for a seventh straight time by having more muscle and then taking a trip into the Super Bowl to be played right back here in our city. And I love the fact that he stood up because to me, the questions about whether or not Shanahan was in McVeigh's head, I thought were silly. I thought the conversations about whether or not Matt Stafford can play the big one, I thought those were unjustified given what he had just shown you the week before and the week before that. I think he's shown you that he's tough. It was simply about the offensive line on both sides of the ball controlling everything. Defense can't get any pressure on Garoppolo. Offense can't establish a running game and can't protect the quarterback. They were getting beat up both sides. So I was thrilled, Will, to see us come back by matching their physicality. We didn't use trick plays. We didn't have Hecker throwing passes instead of punts and bullshit like that. No, we met the physical challenge, and then we ended up being the ones that made Debo cry at the end. <laughs> yeah. 
I was fully prepared for Debo to make me cry. <laughs> yeah, uh, he, he certainly was prepared to. You've been ahead of the game on him for such a long time. That guy is is a monster. He's an absolute monster. I actually texted a buddy of mine midway through the season. And I said to him, I'm not being crazy if I'm saying to you, if I could get Debo in exchange for Cooper Cup straight up, I would. <laughs> because Debo impacts the game in a physical manner that's punishing and causes men to make business decisions. (laughs) Whereas Cooper Cup is an excellent wide receiver who's able to run these incredible routes, create opportunities after the catch, and has just been a beast in a schematic positioning. Whereas to me, it seems like every single broken play that the San Francisco 49ers had, that ball ended up in Debo's hands and he got a first down. And I was just tired of seeing that. But again, went back to the physicality aspect of the conversation and not about talent or coaching. It was about matching the muscle. And we matched the muscle, man. And so I was thrilled because now that I know that we can match the muscle, bring it. Yeah. Bring it. We'll talk about the Bengals. And I like the Bengals, but I don't think they have 49ers muscle. That's not really the right. way they play. I think that speaks well for the Rams too. Though it is worth noting, you've been a big defender of Stafford all year for a good reason. And I live in Athens, Georgia. Lots of uh, Matthew Stafford happy fans around here to say the least, not to mention Sony Michelle for that matter. But it is worth noting that the thing about Stafford all year has been, yeah, he can make some good throws, but there's always that one mistake. And boy, did he make it. It just turned out that the poor 49ers cornerback... This is how you become a quarterback, right? You can't catch <laughs> like that. Right. You're fast and right. you're tall, but you can't catch. But him dropping that ball, listen, the game would have not been over if he'd have caught that interception. But it had been close. <laughs> now, I'm not saying the Rams have deserved it or Stafford did not come and make great plays after that. But there is something about when you win a championship, you have those kind of moments, right? Where luck kind of smiles on you a little bit. I think that was one of those moments. Because once he dropped that ball, I thought, oh, the Rams got this. <laughs> the Rams were already kind of taking control. You, you I'm know, not saying the Rams would have cost themselves a the game. I'm saying the 49ers got a chance to come back. I've heard so many people talk about that pass, and they always ignore all the other passes that happened over all the other games that day in which a quarterback's interception was dropped. Yeah, every single quarterback on Sunday (laughs) had an interception that was dropped. Yeah, I know. Some had interceptions that were caught. I know. But they all had interceptions that were dropped. Yeah. People always want to go, well, you were lucky that they didn't catch that interception. It's like, yes. Luck is part of the game. Of course, of but, course. It's just you that know Stafford what? has made that particular mistake a few times. Burrow threw interceptions that were dropped. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Garoppolo threw interceptions that were dropped, and then he got through an interception that was caught. Yeah. Jaden Ramsey had an interception that Garoppolo threw right in his hands, and he yeah. dropped it. Yeah. Garoppolo's <laughs> so going to give I you mean, those like, chances. <laughs> I mean, so yes, we can talk about how Stafford and the Rams were lucky because that one pass was dropped, or we can be real about it and be like, Tom Brady fumbled the fucking football in the (laughs) AFC Championship game. Are we going to ignore that? He's not the GOAT. He's not the GOAT. He fumbled the football, (laughs) lost the football, and they found some sort of tuck rule to keep shit going. (laughs) Did it not happen? I know it happened. It happened 20 years ago. But yes, it did happen. (laughs) So so I'm just saying, yeah, 20 years ago in his first big game. That was Stafford's first big game in the championship. He threw a pass. It wasn't caught. Got it. He threw another pass slightly behind Cooper Cup. It was deflected. He was intercepted in the end zone. Yeah, that happens. But it happens to everybody. 
It does. I'm just saying if that catches that ball, it's probably a very different conversation we're having. That said, I would much rather have Matthew Stafford by a wide margin than Garoppolo. So much of the conversation all week was all the 49ers players saying like, people are always after Garoppolo. It's not that he's a bad quarterback. It's that he's an average quarterback, which is fine. Being an average quarterback is really impressive. It's just that in the NFL right now, look at these quarterbacks. I would argue that Matthew Stafford is, I wouldn't say that he's a superstar, but he is a better than average quarterback. Garoppolo is not. (laughs) I would trust Stafford to give a team a chance to win, even against a good defense coming late. Garoppolo, you just couldn't trust to do that. And I think you saw that interception felt almost meaner than Garoppolo deserved. (laughs) It wasn't really his fault. He was hit and he's just trying to do something, but it really felt like, oh, this is why they drafted another quarterback. And this is why this league is so run by quarterbacks. You think about all the great transcendent quarterbacks that didn't even make the playoffs. Like Justin Herbert didn't make the playoffs. There's so many great quarterbacks. This is not the days of Trent Dilfer anymore. You can't really win (laughs) with a Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think you saw that. I don't know if that's true though. I mean, listen, how was that interception different than the one that Kyler Murray threw? After watching Burrow <laughs> and after watching Josh Allen and watching Mahomes, I, I got to tell you, as a Cardinals fan, Kyler looks like he's got a much longer way to go than I realized he did. I, I, I mean, come on with it, right? Yeah. What was Brett Favre's lasting moments on the field? Yeah. It was a badly thrown football. It was yeah. intercepted, and it cost him a chance to go into the championship game. that was very game. far. That was a very far thing to do. <laughs> that was a very was far a good thing capper. to do. Right. <laughs> Garoppolo doesn't do far. Right, right, right. right He's right. not reckless with the football. Right, right. He made a bad decision. Yeah. A now, desperate decision. Yeah. It was a desperate decision. It was a bad decision, but he's not typically a reckless player. No, no. You don't have that win-loss ratio that he has if you're a reckless player. So I think he is an average quarterback who's a cautious quarterback who made a bad throw. And he's prone to making bad throws. But again, I would argue that they all make bad throws. And Garoppolo found himself a quarter away from going to his second Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's more than I've got. I have two more than me. That's no question. So, so I, I mean, I understand that San Fran can't wait to move on past him, and that's all fine and dandy. I guess it's the Detroit Lion in me mm-hmm. that doesn't like the idea that we have a winning quarterback that we want to get rid of because yeah. we spent so much time of this franchise's existence just trying to get a fucking winning quarterback. Yeah. Matt Stafford has a losing record. <laughs> I think this was only his third season in which he had double-digit wins. This was his first division title. It's not easy to find a winning combination. And if you got a locker room that supports the quarterback and you have a quarterback that's figured out how to win despite their shortcomings, I get it that the grass is always green on the other side, and I get it that you can always see what he does wrong, but if you're getting rid of Garoppolo based upon what he does wrong, then you're missing all the things that he does right, and he could end up being the very next uh, what's old dude from Tennessee? His name's escaping me now. Uh, oh, oh, Tannehill. There we go. Tannehill. Tannehill. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. We yeah. forgot about him because we don't like him. Even his name is forgettable. His name is forgettable. But think about it. He was deemed a busted with Miami. Right. Next thing you know, he's an invaluable piece to another franchise that knows how to shore up his strengths and cover up for his weaknesses. So I wouldn't be surprised if Garoppolo is a lot more desired than what people are saying because there are a lot of smart football minds that know the one thing that's hard to find is a quarterback that fucking wins. You might be able to find a quarterback that makes all the throws. You may be able to find a quarterback that doesn't make the errors. You may find a quarterback that's more dynamic. You may find a quarterback that has a bigger arm. All those things are possible. But winning quarterbacks, those aren't easy to find. 
because it's about putting it all together at the right moments for team success. And Garoppolo has proven that he can do that. And I wouldn't be surprised if a franchise takes a chance on him to see if he can do it for them. Well, that's a good transition into someone who has definitely done that, which is Joe Burrow. It was pointed out by Matt Brown from The Athletic, formerly my colleague at Sports on Earth, that no quarterback has ever won the Heisman, a national championship, and a Super Bowl. And Joe Burrow has a chance to do that essentially in like three and a half years. (laughs) That is truly remarkable. I went to go watch Georgia play LSU in LSU. That was before Burrow really took off when he was seen as this middling transfer from Ohio State. And since then, he's completely taken over the sport. And I don't think he is precisely the reason that Cincinnati won that game. I think he played very well and put themselves in a good position. But they were down 21-3. And when they were down 21-3, I was like, this is a good step for Burrow, right? To get to this place, (laughs) maybe a couple of years, he'll be ready to go. But the thing that changed in that game was Mahomes. Mahomes in the second half, he looked hesitant. He looked Mm -hmm. indecisive in a way that he doesn't usually. For a guy that was, what, his fourth consecutive AFC championship game, it was legitimately surprising to see how unsettled he was. You knew the, the Chiefs were in trouble when you started to see, I think it was Tyreek Hill and maybe Michael Hardiman having like disagreement on the sidelines when they were ahead. Bad sign. Foretold bad things. And I don't want to get caught up with too much of the Chiefs on this because when you think of tortured NFL franchises, the Lions are on that list. The Vikings are on that list. The Bills are on that list. The Browns are on that list. We don't typically include the Bengals, but that's been a crap franchise for a really <laughs> long time. They haven't been to a Super Bowl for in 30 years. This is their first playoff wins in two plus decades. They've had a horrible ownership situation. Yep. There's a loyal fan base. And I've spent a lot of time in Cincinnati. I almost got married in Cincinnati. Long story. But wow. it really has a very small town feel when a team is doing well. I mean, airport is in Kentucky. It's airport's in Kentucky. Adam Dunn famously hit a home run to Kentucky because he hit on a barge that went and went across the river. There is an excitement there. This is really, really exciting, not just for Cincinnati, but for Burrow to be able to do this so quickly, right? It's amazing how quickly that he's kind of put this together. I know you're a Rams fan, and I think the Rams are the more high-profile team, particularly because also the game is in Los Angeles. But what Cincinnati did to get here, to come back from 21-3 in a game that I think a lot of people thought was done, is really pretty remarkable, and I, I hope it's not getting lost with kind of everything else that happened this weekend. Obviously, Tom Brady's retirement news is going to take over a lot of this conversation this week, in large part because no one cares about the Pro Bowl. <laughs> Nobody but cares about the Pro Bowl. <laughs> both teams in this Super Bowl came back from double-digit deficits. Mm -hmm. And both teams had to defeat personal boogeymen. For the Rams, obviously, Matt Stafford, individual shortcomings. And then as a team, this is the team that's beaten you six times in a row. This is a team whose fan base has made themselves known and comfortable in your stadium. (laughs) There was a lot going on for the Rams on Sunday. Mm. And then obviously for Joe Burrow, it was about the history of the franchise. And this is an opportunity to change the tide and have people thinking about this franchise differently. And he was very responsible for that. In addition to overcoming a double-digit lead on the road against what many had considered one of the most prolific offenses almost since the St. Louis Rams, right? right? That's how prolific this offense was. I don't know what happened <laughs> in the AFC Championship game in that second half. I don't know if Mahomes saw something. I don't know if it was a schematic change defensively that made him more hesitant. I don't know if he was also in his head thinking, oh shit, I'm close to going to another Super Bowl. Yeah. I don't know. But what I do know is the mental toughness it takes for a young QB to still believe 
against that team on the road in that circumstances says a lot. And hopefully for the fans of the Rams, including me, for our sake, they took note of that. That just as they didn't stop believing when they were down double digits in the fourth quarter against a team that's beaten them six times in a row, that Cincinnati Bengals team, you can go up 20 on them in the third quarter and they won't stop believing, which means you can't stop playing. I don't think this is going to be a blowout. I wouldn't be surprised if one of the two teams has a double-digit lead before it gets close again. But I think you would be foolish to count either one of these teams out if you're into the fourth quarter and they're trailing because they both have shown a resiliency that potentially makes the Super Bowl a classic. Just so you know, if I were a Cincinnati Bengal, I would have totally lost because I absolutely stopped believing. I thought the game was over. <laughs> I thought the game was done. And I totally understand why. Okay, Will, let's take a quick break. And when we return, my friend, we're going to talk about the Olympics. Yes, the Olympics. And why no one seems to care about the summer or winter games anymore. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, Will, we're back. Going to the Olympics is, as an athlete, this is what you dream of. Walking with Team USA is unreal. It just has a sense of just bringing everyone together. I felt really honored to go and represent our country in front of the world on the biggest stage. The Winter Olympics, coming February 3rd. You just heard a commercial for the upcoming Winter Olympics in Beijing. And if it wasn't for NBC's relentless promotion... I'm not so sure anyone in this country would have known that the games are starting on Friday. It wasn't too long ago that the Olympics was one of the most anticipated and celebrated sporting events. In 2014, NBC paid the International Olympic Committee $7.75 billion for the rights to broadcast the games until 2032. Hopefully I'll be alive then. But that contract is looking like an albatross right now. The 2020 Tokyo Summer Olympics was the lowest rated Olympic Games by far since NBC began broadcasting the spectacle in 1988, plummeting 40% from the 2016 event in Rio. And since the Winter Olympics historically have substantially fewer viewers than its summer counterpart, and because there are few American stars to bank on this time around, it's pretty much guaranteed that the Beijing Games will set a record for audience apathy. Well, the Olympics used to routinely draw close to 30 million viewers a night. NBC will be ecstatic if it can just reach half that number next week. So what happened, bruh? Why do Americans care less about the Olympics now than ever before? I think it goes beyond just the pandemic, beyond China. 
There is zero, no buzz about the Olympics at all. I, I was joking before, it feels a little bit like Peacock, like NBC mm -hmm. really trying to make something work because they've got a financial invest in it, but no one else really cares. I, I can't remember an Olympics like this that nobody cares about at all. And most people don't even know what's happening. I can't speak about the enthusiasm in other countries. I'm not there to bear witness. But I know what we like in the States. We like a good story and we like a fucking star. And we don't have yeah. either right now. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the superstar? My podcast, Life Out Loud, which focuses in on LGBTQ issues, I interview Timothy LaDuke, who is the first non-binary athlete to qualify for the Olympics. It's a fantastic conversation. I learned a lot about what it means to be a binary person, as well as how that can impact scoring. And I also know that the general public doesn't give a fuck about this episode <laughs> because they don't care about the Olympics, right? And I did it because I think it's important that whether there's enthusiasm for it or not, that when you have a historical first or great performances or great scores or an athlete winning a huge amount of gold, I think those moments you still need to document and capture. But the storyteller in me, I know that this is an event that's dead on arrival in the States. And the only way things change is if something dramatic happens and it's able to pierce through the noise and become a story of interest because it's not coming into the opening with any real momentum. And I don't think it's because of geopolitical reasons, to be quite honest with you. There are plenty of other nations that have hosted World Cups, that have hosted Olympics under questionable circumstances, some circumstances violating human rights conditions as China has been shown to have been violating. I really think it's about the fact that no athlete has been able to separate themselves from the event. Michael Phelps was able to do it. Simone Biles was able to do it. Apollo Ono was able to do it, if you want to talk about the Winter Olympics. And I don't think there's any winter athlete that's been able to do that, not even the great Timothy LeDuc, who's very brave in being non-binary and being out in China. Nonetheless, their story is not one that really breaks through a Tom Brady just retired sort of <laughs> news cycle. We are a sports and culture and politics and business podcast. And the Olympics is the encapsulation of all four of those. And we are like, all oh, right, we got to talk about the Olympics next week. That's where that is. And I agree with you. I do not think that people are like, well, I can't get into the Olympics this year. I mean, look what's happening with the Uyghurs. I mean, that's a huge, huge right. deal, right? It's a, it's a massive thing. But most people I know that aren't okay with the Olympics, I don't even think they even know it's in Beijing. Also, the timing has been off, not just with this Olympics, but even last year's Olympics, the Summer Olympics, they were a year yep. later. Not having fans there affected a lot of sports, but something about the Olympics really sucked a lot out of it. I can watch the NFL game, and a lot of times I can't even really tell if there's a crowd there because the game is so neatly framed. And you know, a mm -hmm. lot of times people love football, but they don't really understand what's going on in football because it's so well framed. It's a great television show. People don't care about curling. They don't care about ski jumping, though it is kind of fun to watch them go wee and they land. <laughs> it is kind of funny. But I don't think they say wee. They do. I, they I, do. Just, That's just the going glory. The That's here. the glory of the Olympics. They're saying we under their mask. I have no doubt. These are not sports that people actually really do care about. Curling is cute and funny and charming. No one knows who's good at it. Right. Most people don't even understand the scoring in a lot of these events, but you can sell them on, okay, here is their journey. There's little like NBC packages yep. that they always put together. Here's their journey. Here's how they got here. Because unlike a lot of other athletes, particularly professional athletes, Olympians, because this is the only time people really care about their event and they spend the other four years in mostly obscurity, they feel more like real people. 
which is unfair, by the way, to professional athletes. But I think in the way that people perceive this, they're seen as regular people that happen to do this weird thing with a broom every four years. And those stories aren't breaking through. It reminds me of when sports ratings were really bad early on in the pandemic, in that one of the reasons I would argue that people were not watching a lot of sports is that, ah, there's so much else going on. I can't deal with this right now. And I think part of that is going on with here too. It feels like the timing is off. You talk about the lack of a star. I mean, is the biggest American star still Sean White? <laughs> is this son. Sean White without the hair? He shouldn't be. I don't even think he's a serious contender. This is like his Jim Palmer comeback sort of thing. But I think he's still the most recognizable American athlete in this. And I think you're right. The timing of it feels weird. And there's not a lot of coverage there. There's no atmosphere. I think ESPN's not sending any reporters there. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, which is, which is its own problem. I can't tell if this is just a product of the current circumstances, which is to say there's no breakout athlete. There's no crowds. It feels weird. The timing is odd. Is that just something that's landing now? Or does this feel like an ominous sign for the Olympics moving forward? Again, I can't speak globally, right? Okay. They may be absolutely enthused, you know, in Asia. I'm sure Norway is more excited than we are. Yes. Right, right. Sweden. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I can't. Right. But in the United States, there was a dramatic drop between Michael Phelps and where we are today. Yeah. I remember in Phelps, what, third Olympics, there were bars, <laughs> sports bars, all the screens watching this dude swim. Yeah. Bars opening early, bars staying up later, specials. Yeah. I took Michael Phelps shots before. I don't remember <laughs> what it was made of, but I know it was a Phelps shot. Chlorine. I'm sure it was just chlorine. It's probably just chlorine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if you think about some of the height of recent Olympic popularities, right? You got 84 and LA and hip hop on the stage and Carl Lewis and... You move forward, and then there's the dream team. And it's like, oh, my God, the greatest collection of basketball talent ever on one team. And there was excitement there. Then you had Phelps, and then you had Simone Biles. And now there's just boom. Yeah. And in between that, you're right. You did have the Sean Whites pop through. The U.S. men's bobsled team yeah. won gold for the first mm -hmm. time. And a lot of personalities came from that. But there just hasn't been anyone to break through. So I said all that to say that I don't think this is a dead deal in terms of U.S. or stateside enthusiasm for the Olympics, but they've got to get back to finding that athlete to build up for us to care about. So when the Olympics finally do arrive, there's anticipation. You can't build anticipation the week of. You got to build anticipation over time. And I think that goes back to how the coronavirus pandemic has influenced the way that the sports are all covered anyway. NBC may not want to do this or not, but could help. It's loosening a little bit of its exclusivity on its content yeah. so that more eyeballs can talk about the Olympics in a real-time way. You got a stranglehold on this thing when no one else can show any footage. Well, that's all fine and dandy when everyone's excited and they want to see it. But if no one gives a fuck, you need to flip the model. Yeah and try to find ways to get more people to talk about your sport. And one of the ways you do that is by granting more access to being able to use the footage of your sport. Now, it might be too late in the game for them this year, yeah. but I'm just here to tell you, if you're going to show in today's media still shots, 
you're not really going to get yeah. a whole lot of enthusiasm. We're a motion nation, baby. <laughs> We're a TikTok time, baby. You got to be moving and grooving. If you're showing me an AP photo and then you want to have a, somebody doing a voiceover for five minutes, we ain't doing that shit, man. We're clicking the channel. So take with that what you will. Yes. And I do think it's key before we uh, close this segment. Obviously, what's going on with China, there's a lot of issues. I'm very curious to see if any athletes speak up. If any athletes say anything, and if so, what happens? If there's any issues with the Chinese government, if NBC will air those things. I'm definitely curious about that. But honestly, I think I'm more curious about that than I am the actual events, which is maybe really not a good sign to any stretch of the imagination. Not a good sign at all. Okay, well, it's time for This Week in Sports History, where we break down an event from the past through the lens of the present day. What would you like to say to the families? It's simple, you know. God has never made a mistake. That's just who he is, you see? And if our system, this is the sad thing about our system. If our system took the time to really investigate what happened 13 years ago, maybe they would have got to the bottom line truth. But the saddest thing ever was that a man looked me in my face and told me, we know you didn't do this, but you're going down for it anyway. That was former Baltimore Ravens linebacker Ray Lewis, one of the greatest defensive players ever on the CBS Super Bowl pregame show in 2013, reacting to a question about his involvement in a fight that led to the murder of two men. 22 years ago this week, Lewis was outside a nightclub in Atlanta at a Super Bowl party when a violent altercation erupted that led to the stabbing death of Jacinta Baker and Richard Lawler. Eleven days later, Lewis and two of his friends, Reginald Oakley and Joseph Sweeting, were indicted on murder charges. Lewis eventually pled guilty to obstruction of justice, admitting that he failed to let police know all of the people he was with that night and that he told his companions to, quote, shut the fuck up, end quote. Lewis agreed to testify against his friends, who were later acquitted of murder. In return, he only received 12 months probation and was allowed to resume his NFL career. Now, we know surprisingly little about the events of that night, except that there was a witness who said Lewis was wearing a white suit that was stained with blood. A suit, by the way, that has never been seen since the night of the murders, and that Baker's blood was found in Lewis's limo. Lewis had rarely talked about the incident since it happened. Regardless, he went on to win two Super Bowls, earn a Super Bowl MVP, make the Hall of Fame, be an analyst for both ESPN and FS1, and appear in commercials for Old Spice and Madden. So Lewis has been able to carry on almost like nothing had ever happened. Hi, I'm Ray Lewis. Women want me, men want to be me, and animals want to learn how to talk so they can hang out with me. Do you want to know why? Why? Old Spice, Showtime, deodorant. That makes sense. I would ask you, my friend, if the Ray Lewis story were to break out, say today, <laughs> how do you think he would be covered? <laughs> Nonstop, first off. You know, it's funny. Lewis was obviously a great player, but we lived through this. We're old. I'm old. You're perpetually young and handsome, but uh, I'm old. And I'll send you a $5 bill later. <laughs> It'll be a food stamp. Just Venmo me. But... <laughs> Before he was Ray Lewis of the Old Spice ads and Ray Lewis of the dance and Ray Lewis of the pregame shows. He was just a really good football player. In a lot of ways, this is one of the first things that people knew about him. And it is it is impossible to wrap your mind. <laughs> the idea of Super Bowl week 
everybody's there. It's like the convention of sports, all the media people there, all the business people there, everybody's there. This year, there'll be less parties because apparently there's a pandemic going on, I haven't heard. But more to the point. Shout out to you, Gavin Newsom. <laughs> this, is, this is the big one. Listen, we've seen, even in this age, athletes get involved with something ugly and be able to overcome it. Ben Roethlisberger just last week. But the Lewis thing for several reasons, but one was there was a drip drop of news about it that I think would be very, very different now. I think that TMZ yeah. would be right there. They would have paid somebody there and they'd have been all over the news. We'd all had it and everyone would have picked up immediately. Someone would have gotten on Instagram live and the thing would have escalated so much quicker that I don't think this mystery that we have now would exist. I think we would have more answers if just because everything would have been so focused on it. When you talked about Ray Lewis for the next 20 years, really, of his career, occasionally people are like, well, you know, there's that time where he may have murdered a guy. Everyone's like, whoa, 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 that's Ray Lewis. Look at the dance. And I think that there's something to that, right? I think part of that's Lewis. People love him. He's hugely popular in Baltimore. But it feels like he was able to essentially avoid questions about it for about 20 years. I would like to say that wouldn't happen now. But Ben Roethlisberger avoided questions about his stuff for 15 years afterwards. It feels like the coverage of it at the time almost feels weirdly muted when you take a big statement and be like, holy shit, <laughs> like there was a murder involving an all pro player at the Super Bowl. It feels right. like too big of a story to even imagine now. There is no way that there would not have been video footage yeah. of something. Yeah. And that, to me, is the biggest difference. It isn't necessarily what traditional media would have done differently, though I do believe we would have stayed more dogged yeah, about yeah. it. I believe that social media would have produced content yeah. that would have kept the story in the fore and thus made it impossible for him to have this second wind to his career off the field. Yeah. Whether it's video footage of someone being physical with someone, whether it's security cam footage from inside the club or from the streets themselves, I think the biggest difference in terms of how we would have discussed this tragedy would have been the usage of video and how the proliferation through social media would have made it impossible for them to quiet things down. That's not to say that traditional media did not stick to the story and did not right. report as closely as we possibly could. Of course we did. But the reality is, particularly when it comes to stories that grabs the public's attention, they're almost always undergirded by video footage. Yeah. Now, Would Ray Rice have survived his thing if they didn't have that footage in the elevator? He probably would have. Probably would have. In fact, he did. <laughs> yeah. Actually. That's true. He did actually survive the thing. Right. right. True. <laughs> so I think, to me, in terms of this week in sports history, this is the perfect story to hold up as an example because someone might have live streamed it, dog. Yeah, I mean, the cameras would have been out before the fight started. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, you know? And who knows? Yeah. Maybe because of that dynamic, Ray and his associates leave the venue sooner yep. before there is an altercation because yep. they know that people are watching and yep. they know that there will be cameras on them everywhere. 22 years ago, that wasn't something you were cautious of. Man, that's such a good point. <laughs> that's such a good point. And I guess that's a good thing, right? I mean, I mean, the idea that these altercations can somehow be minimized when right. they know that everyone's got their cameras out. Because, yeah, the cameras would have been out the minute the, the cameras would have been out the minute Ray Lewis got out of the car. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, it, right. Would, it would have been everywhere. So I think it would have actually changed mm -hmm. if the actual instance would have happened today because of the cameras that would have been out. Obstruction of justice, Will. 
in a murder case. <laughs> two guys, like, two people. Yeah, <laughs> boy. Unbelievable. Like, Unbe- Un-freaking-believable. There, there is no way social media would have just let that just go. <laughs> During like, the Super Bowl week. Oh, gee whiz. Right. Oh, boy. Well, it's interesting to see that Lewis... I guess the phrase you would use now is they tweeted through it. <laughs> he just kind of plowed through it, right? He still, to this day, has never really answered questions about it. In fact, considers questions asking about it, you know, the time that he was involved in a double murder and served a year probation about it as almost invasive and right. something you should not be able to answer. Eventually, we just hit a point where we're like, okay, I guess uh, we're not going to ask the guy that's on the NFL pregame show every single week about the <laughs> double murder. It's the NFL model, man, yeah. which is why this league is so successful. Yeah. Just wait till Sunday. Just wait till Sunday. That's exactly Wait till right. Sunday. If you're going to fuck some shit up, do it like on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. <laughs> because then Sunday yeah. we'll cleanse it. Yeah. And by Tuesday, we're talking about something else. Yeah, we're talking about the next you know, person. Don't mess up anything during the Pro Bowl week because we ain't doing shit else. We're just hanging out, waiting for news, yeah. and everyone's available. We've been fighting about Joe Rogan and Neil Young for like six days. This is a slow week. Exactly. This is the time. <laughs> this is the time. It's like, like Jody Mitchell can't even get in that conversation. That's how enforced. Is <laughs> it yeah. Jody said no too? Like, no yeah. one cares. It's Neil Young. This is not the week. To get in trouble. Yes. This is not the week to be obstructing justice. Put it this way. Wait one more week and then try to do it on the weekend so that Sunday comes around and we everybody forgets. That's cynical as hell. All my justice <laughs> obstruction is happening <laughs> after the Super Bowl. <laughs> I've got three weeks nonstop justice obstruction. Okay, LZ, let's move on to our listener questions. Now, we record our podcast while appearing also live on Twitch. So thank you, everyone who was watching for sending these in. Marshall, our producer, Marshall Eisen, is here to uh, shoot some questions. Yeah, you're not Megan, uh, but I still love you. I'm definitely not Megan. Did we get any questions? And if so, please don't pick the ones that are too hard. Is it from China? (laughs) It is not from China. It's from the Recount Wire team. Okay. And kind of dovetails a little bit with the Ray Lewis conversation. They're asking about Mason Greenwood who is the European soccer player for Man U who was charged with rape. And they're saying that it reminds them of the Joe Mixon situation. Joe Mixon caught on tape committing an act of horrific domestic violence. Do you think Greenwood will not suffer real consequences like Mixon? And should they even be allowed to play, especially when players like Ray Rice, who you mentioned were blackballed from sports after they were caught with their domestic violence problem? A good analogy to this is probably the Trevor Bauer situation. A lot of this comes into the way different leagues handle this sort of stuff. I don't know if you've seen the pictures and video that she put out on Instagram Live. It's horrifying. (laughs) Like, Like, it's really, truly horrifying. The Bauer thing... They've been able to push that off being like, well, you know, that's still in the court system. And they froze his contract or whatever they did. And they're waiting for the court system to figure out what it's going to do. You look at Bauer and you're like, get this freaking guy away. Like, I look at this guy. I don't don't ever see this Greenwood guy play soccer again ever. But then I had totally forgotten about the Joe Mixon thing. And that's how it happens, right? Some guys get stuck with this. Some leagues push this harder than others. And I do think it's a good question because I think a lot of it speaks to how the leagues handle it in the moment. And the NFL has a history of being like, yeah, yeah, it's bad, 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 bad. And then you wait a couple of years. I mean, Tyreek Hill had a situation like this. Joe Mixon's had situations like this. Some leagues are better or worse, depending on your perspective, on of moving on on this than others. 
No, I, I agree. And it's, it's also about the value to an athlete in terms of the growth and popularity of that sport. I always argued when it came to Ray Rice that if he was averaging four yards a carry instead, I think at the time it was barely two yards a carry because he was coming back from injury, that the calculus would have been different in terms of how they handled him. Which is horrible, you know, but true. <laughs> I mean, it, it is what it is, man. Like, yeah. if Ray Lewis is just a bench player, I don't know if the Baltimore Ravens ride or die for him. And that's probably a really bad use of that phrase, but you know exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know if they stand by his side the way that they did if he wasn't such a tremendous player for them. So when you talk about the repercussions for an accused or alleged action, you also have to factor in what do they mean to a particular franchise? What do they mean to a particular sport? Because we've seen time and time again, and I'm not just being cynical, I'm also pointing to examples that if you are producing at a high level, if you are popular and helping the growth of your sport, stories of this nature, regardless of how much evidence or circumstantial evidence is presented to reiterate the fact, we're going to find a way to work with you. <laughs> and if you suck, then we won't. I mean, the Bauer thing, I feel like part of this too is that I think the Dodgers would be okay if they didn't have to pay that salary. Yeah, <laughs> so like, yeah they would. <laughs> like I think, but he also was starting to decline yeah, in terms of, of his dominance on the mound. Of course, of course. So If he was pitching lights out with Scherzer, yeah. are the comments that they made different than the comments you make with someone who's starting to slide a little bit yeah. after the whole substance in a baseball controversy. Yeah. Yep, I think that's right. Think Which that's we also right. don't talk about anymore either. <laughs> yeah, we've already moved on. The, <laughs> the umps looked at their hats for a couple seconds when they came off the field. It's resolved and set now. There you go. Okay. Uh, Any more, Marshall? Yeah, we got two more. Roz116 wants to know, who's the biggest winner in Boston sports history, Tom Brady or Bill Russell? Hmm. Roz has been canceled. Is there a cancel button? <laughs> My computer has one. Of course it's Bill Russell. What do you think I'm going to say? It's, it's fucking the first day of Black History Month, Roz. What do you think I'm going to say? Think I'm going to root for the white guy that had the MAGA hat in his locker? <laughs> or am I going to root for the brother who had to deal with racist-ass Boston that just got his first non-white male mayor in the history of the city? This is the first time it didn't have a white man as a mayor in the history of Boston. With the tea party in the whole night. They just got to this point. You really think I'm going to pick Tom Brady on the first day of Black History Month? Of course not. It's Bill Russell. Now, I guess not. Will can't go against that without looking bad. Larry Bird. I just, <laughs> no, I'll go with Larry Bird. No, that's not good either. No, Larry that's Bird not good either. either. No, 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 no. No. Okay. Yeah. First out, it's Kevin McHale. Let's just let's put it's the Kevin McHale. Let's put the no, it's Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge. Oh, my God. There you Danny go. Danny Ainge. There's a winner. There we go. Okay. There is a winner. What did he say? Basically, I'm not paying attention to what these black people are saying. Yeah. Definitely showing his Boston there a little bit. <laughs> All right. One more question comes from on the mark 47 cincinnati decided to close schools the monday after the super bowl should that monday be a national holiday yes <laughs> i'm definitely pro closing schools they did not do this at the university of georgia after their national championship game and all it led was just to a completely useless school day <laughs> no one did anything no one wanted to be there the university of illinois when we made the final four they canceled class for monday and tuesday and it's 
fine. We discussed a little earlier with Cincinnati. That's kind of a small town. I know at a certain level, it's like, well, you know, education should be more important than athletics. <laughs> and I agree, but like, come on. Who are we trying to kid here? If they win that game, they're going to lose their shit out there. No one's learning anything the next day anyway. Listen, in a world where we're starting to lose snow days, just as a concept, I feel like any day off from school is good for kids. And especially, particularly right now, good for teachers. Listen, I've already let my assistant sports editor at the LA Times know, girl, if the Rams lose, I don't know if you can depend on me for some content. <laughs> I don't know. And if they win, it still might be dicey. So, so yes, yes. I've written about it, I think, multiple times, actually, for ESPN.com in page two. This absolutely should be a holiday. And I'm shocked that there hasn't been some crafty politician on the state legislative level that hasn't introduced a piece of policy that's running up the chain to at least make it a state holiday for some teams. I think that's a good way to get some goodwill mm -hmm. from people stateside. If they won't do it federally, then certainly you can do it at home. Maybe Gavin Newsom should consider that since you want to show up at games with no masks on and then try to tell us that you had a mask in your hand. Mm -hmm. And then we saw pictures of your hand and you didn't see a mask in that either. And then we saw other pictures of you sitting around without a mask on. And then you try and tell us you only did it for the magic picture. Maybe you want to make it a national holiday now. I don't know. To distract us. Who knows? But yes. <laughs> Who are we to say? <laughs> what are we to say? But yes, I do believe that it should be a national holiday. Unfortunately, you and I do have to work. I know. We're in the business. We do have to work. I know. Well, thank you, everyone, for your questions. Those were great. We love being able to do the Twitch show. It's always a pleasant time, and thanks for hanging with us. And that's our show for this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening to The Long Game with LZ and Leach. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on the ACAST app or wherever you get your podcasts. And just a quick program note. Next week, we'll be live on Twitch on Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash the recount for a breakdown of the biggest stories in sports. The Long Game is produced by Pierre Bienname. Megan Burney, Roz Guevara, and Marshall Eisen. Our engineer is Aaliyah Jackson. Music is by Gloria Tales. Sound design is by David Wilson. We'll be back next Wednesday with a new podcast, so please listen out for us.